Please stand for the reading of God's Word. As we continue this Advent series, this morning we find ourselves in the book of Luke, chapter 1. Our scripture reading is Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God, written for you and written for me. Luke writes, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, Well, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, this past week, I saw a, a very interesting even a heartwarming interview on the Today Show with a 99-year-old man named Richard Schimmel. And Richard Schimmel was being interviewed this past week because he was one of the actual radar operators serving at Pearl Harbor when it was bombed 80 years ago this past Tuesday. Schimmel was just 19 years old at the time, and radar was a very new technology. Interestingly, on that morning, no one was scheduled to be working at the radar station, but two radar technicians just happened to be there, and what they saw shocked them. Out of nowhere, a massive formation of aircraft Nothing like they had ever seen. 180 planes strong showed up on the radar. Just had to be a glitch, right? Couldn't be working properly, correct? They checked all that. It was working exactly as it should have been. And sadly, it was no glitch. It was a strike force from the Empire of Japan. And Schimmel and a few others were among the first to know that something very ominous was on the way, if only their superior officers would have listened. 
which they didn't. If only their superior officers would have listened, they could have scrambled our planes and the damage would have been greatly minimized. They had about an, they had about an hour of advanced warning, but they did not listen. Richard Schimmel still has the note of warning that he wrote on December 7th, 1941, the note that was disregarded. He has it laminated. And it was so cute when he went up to his attic and he searched in his files and he brought it out. And there was the laminated note that he had written on December 7th, 1941. You know, there aren't many of these guys left, these World War II veterans. And to get an interview with them, especially to get an interview with Richard Schimmel is an awesome thing. Interviewing him, it's like you're interviewing living history when you watch this interview with Richard Schimmel. Well, I'm sure Luke, the gospel writer Luke, I'm sure he felt the same way and even more so when he finally sat down for what was, without question, the biggest interview he ever had in his life. The interview I'm sure he had been highly anticipating. Imagine what it was like for Luke. The gospel writer Luke, okay, set out to write a biography of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Okay, Luke, there was a challenge for him. Luke was not an eyewitness. Do you remember when Luke was converted or how Luke was converted? The man who wrote the gospel of Luke was converted by the apostle Paul on one of his missionary journeys. And so Luke is converted some 30 or 40 years after the events of our text. Maybe even 50 years later. So Luke wasn't an eyewitness. Where did Luke get his information to write the Gospel of Luke? Luke set out to interview eyewitnesses. People who lived with Jesus, ministered with Jesus, people who knew Jesus... It was his goal to write down eyewitness testimony and commemorate that in the book of Luke. In fact, Luke tells us this at the beginning of his gospel. In Luke 1, Luke writes, I myself, think about how amazing this is. I myself, Luke writes, have carefully investigated everything from the beginning from eyewitnesses. And it seemed good to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Okay, just as I read through the text, who do you think it was that told Luke the specifics of the conversation between Mary and the angel? How would anyone have known the words that were used, okay, that were exchanged between Mary and Gabriel. By the time Luke was researching for this book, Joseph would have been long gone. There's only one person who would have known with specificity what the angel said and what she said. The announcement that was made and her poem or song in response. It gives me goosebumps to think that what we read in Luke chapter 1 is no doubt the results of an interview between Luke and the mother of the Lord Jesus, Mary. Incredible. Okay, 
Last week, remember we looked at Isaiah 8 and 9. I mentioned last week that Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, that that is the context to Christmas. Okay, Isaiah chapter 7, 8, and 9, it's the context of Christian. And really, our passage this morning, it's like it picks up directly from that. A prophecy is made over 700 years before that a virgin will give birth to a son, and that's what we see being promised in our passage today. Okay, the context of our passage today to appreciate what's happening in our passage today, allow me to just so very briefly give the context, the original context from which our passage today flows. The original context is Isaiah 7. It's around 734 BC, about 734 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Dark days have fallen on Ahaz in the southern kingdom. Okay, the southern kingdom is under attack. Two nations more powerful than Ahaz are invading his country. He doesn't know what to do. He's tempted to trust in the wrong thing. He's tempted to reach out to Assyria to get help. And the Lord sends Isaiah onto the scene, if you remember from last week. And Isaiah encourages Ahaz not to do anything. God, through Isaiah, encourages Ahaz, trust in me and I will save you. Trust in me and I will deliver you. Okay, and to reassure Ahaz, God offers to do something for Ahaz. Now we talk about this passage every year around this time. And repetition is the key to learning. Do you remember at the time Okay, what God offered to do for Ahaz, to reassure him of two things. I'm with you, and I'm powerful enough to save you. Do you remember the sign that God offered? He offered to Ahaz. You know, like in our context, it feels inappropriate to ask God for a sign, right? That, that seems like an expression of a lack of trust. We should just believe. Well, God was offering to do for Ahaz, okay, something that doesn't happen very much Ahaz, you can ask for a sign. The sky's the limit. I'll do anything for you. You can ask something in the highest heights or the deepest depths. Whatever you ask for me, I'll do to prove to you that I exist, that I'm with you, that I'm strong to save. Okay? Well, I did a little interview of my own this week, okay? And I called some of our elementary school children, some of our, some of our middle school children, to ask them the following question. If you were Ahaz... If you were in Ahaz's position and God offered to give you a sign to convince you that he exists, that he's with you, that he's strong to save, what sign would you ask for? Okay, back when I was their age, I probably would have, nobody asked this, you know, you could be thinking about this too. If I was their age, I would have asked, Lord, you know, maybe if, I, if, if this chair could glow, that would convince me, that'd be pretty persuasive, okay, that you exist, you're with me, you're strong to save, so... I've got a report to make. We had some good signs, okay? Impressive signs. So, um, Levi Robertson, and there was some overlap in these signs, okay? Levi Robertson and Josh Owens, independently of each other, said the sign they would have asked for 
would be able to, if they could be able to fly for a day. Yeah, that's a pretty good sign, right? If the Lord would give them the ability to fly around the ancient Near East for a day, that would be the clincher for them. I would recommend not flying too high, lack of oxygen up there, maybe 10,000 feet or below. That would be great. It's, it's just interesting the way that, that our precious children's minds operate. So, called up Micah Varghese, okay? Asked him the same question. He thought about it carefully. He said, you know what would do it for me? If God would make a hatchet appear in the chair in my room. He's a handy guy. I think he likes to chop things. <laughs> Obviously, I don't think his parents have gotten this for him, okay? So he's like, this would be a good way to acquire this, all right? If God could have a hatchet appear in my chair, that would do it for me. Micah, that's a great request. This next one, two people said the exact same thing. I asked Jack Norfleet and Adelaide Breed this question. They both said, I'd like to be invisible for 24 hours. That's very impressive. I guess your parents could hear you, not see you. That would do it. Last but certainly not least, Mills Duval. Okay, I called up Mills Duval, and Mills wanted to think about it for a minute. She didn't just instantly respond. She thought about it, and she said this. This is amazing. She said, I'd like to be taken to heaven. Now, not permanently, okay? She said, I'd like the Lord to allow me to visit heaven and see him and talk to him and see his glory. If I could just have a taste of heaven, that would do it for me. I think those are all good choices. Can we not agree? Very good. This is bad. I shouldn't say this. Our Texas fans might have wished for a winning season or something like that. I don't... That would have been a major miracle. Okay. That is a low blow. I'm sorry. That's not in the notes. You got that for free. Believe it or not, it's hard to believe. Do you remember what Ahaz said? Ahaz said, I'm not interested. I don't want a sign. He rejected the opportunity for God to give him a sign to confirm his faith. And what we understand as the Emmanuel prophecy is the sign that God chose to give anyway. Isaiah 7.14, this is God's response to the faithless. This is God's response to the faithless Ahaz. Isaiah 7.14, behold, Isaiah says, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That prophecy was given over 700 years before the Lord would fulfill his sign. So what we're seeing in our passage today is the fulfillment of the promise God gave to his people in 732 BC that a sign is coming, a virgin will give birth to a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, I am with you. So let's look at our text. This is it. This is the fulfillment. Luke 1 verse 26, in the sixth month, meaning the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To say this would have been a backwater 
nowhere town would be an understatement. I can't even imagine an obscure enough Texas city to be a good uh, one-to-one with Nazareth. It was, it was, Nazareth was, was, it was, it was viewed as um, being almost a disreputable place. It was just, it had no status whatsoever. To a virgin, verse 7, 27, betrothed to a man, engaged to a man, so not, not fully married, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he, Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And theologians have spilt much ink and have debated long about what does it mean that she was greatly troubled. Well, I think there's a pretty simple and obvious explanation. If one of the archangels of the living God appeared to you with this kind of message, I think you'd be overwhelmed and troubled. Um, I think she was just in awe. This was not a regular occurrence. If you read your Bible, angels did not show up and make these kinds of announcements on a regular basis. Theologians speculate Mary was probably between 14 and 18. That's what we should be imagining in our mind's eye. In the ancient Near East, Jewish girls were given in marriage between 14 and 18. She was a teenager from Nazareth. She would have been completely overwhelmed and caught off guard that an angel of the living God like Gabriel had appeared to her. Verse 30, the angel said to her, this is what angels always say because people respond in similar ways. They're overwhelmed. They're frightened. They're terrified even. Verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, which is the New Testament equivalent of, of Old Testament Joshua, God saves. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now that's a lot to take in. Can we agree? A teenage girl in Nazareth being told that God was showing her this kind of favor. I mean, just look at some of the descriptors. She would conceive and bear a son, verse 32. He will be great. He will be called, he will be called the Son of the Most High. I'm not sure she would have even had the categories to fully comprehend this. The Lord God will give to him, this boy, the throne of his father, David. He would reign over the house of Jacob forever of his kingdom. There will be no end. Now what's interesting is she doesn't ask about any of the specifics related to his titles or, or attributes or prerogatives. She doesn't ask anything in relation to that, okay? She is curious about something though. And to me it makes a lot of sense. Verse 34, this is a teenage girl. She doesn't quite understand. It could be a teenage boy. He would have every bit as hard a time comprehending this. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, well, how will this be? Since I am a virgin like everyone else, she understood exactly where children came from. You don't need to be a biology major. Okay, she was shocked. She didn't understand. 
This is not an expression of a lack of faith. This wasn't her way of challenging the angel. She just didn't understand. How could something like this happen? This is like a clarification question. And Gabriel obliges. He's so gracious. Verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's the miracle. No one can understand exactly what that means. He's saying the power of God and the Holy Spirit will overshadow you in a way that you will conceive. Therefore, the child will be called holy. The child's not going to have a biological father. Original sin passed from the father to the son. So in the mysterious sovereign power of God, he's overshadowing her. She's going to conceive in her womb the Lord Jesus who will be holy in the ways that we can't be. Verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. What's happening with her? John the Baptist in her womb. It's also a miracle. Verse 37, what's God trying to convey? Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, unlike Zechariah, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So this is why you have to read this in connection with Isaiah 7, 8, and 9. What was Ahaz's response? He responded with a lack of faith. He rejected God's sign. Whereas the king in Jerusalem rejected God's sign, here this precious, wonderful, young, teenage virgin named Mary, she believed. She believed where Ahaz didn't. Now go to panel five in your bulletin for the rest of the story. Just think of the, the faith of Mary. She has trusted God that he is going to do the impossible. That he is going to conceive in her a son. Look at verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb and why is this granted to me, the mother of my Lord? Notice what she said. Elizabeth understands what's happening here. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby, baby John in my womb, leaped for joy. Notice this, verse 45. This is how this section ends. And blessed is she who believed. So unlike Ahaz, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. Mary, no doubt, is blessed for many reasons. And Protestants kind of, you know, undervalue Mary. 
and the significance of this amazing woman. She is blessed for a variety of reasons. Elizabeth recognizes that Mary is blessed, at least to a significant degree, because she believed the word of God to her. She believed in God's sign and knew that it would come to pass. And look at Mary's response. This is the Magnificat. Mary said, or Mary sang. Mary responds in verse 46. Look at her humility. She's amazed. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Look at verse 48. This is really the, just, this is part of the crux of the gospel. For he has looked on what? The humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. She's incredulous. And holy is his name. Look at verse 50. His mercy. His mercy is for those who fear him. Who, who look to him in awe and reverence and even an appropriate amount of fear from generation to generation. Verse 51, this harkens back to the Exodus event. The language is similar. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. Look at verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Look at that repetition. He brings down the, pri the prideful and those who think they are mighty and he exalts, exalts and lifts up the humble. Verse 53, look at this. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the fulfillment of all the covenants. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Mary's sense of awe and wonderment was not focused on the miracle per se. She was astounded that the God of the universe, the transcendent holy God of the universe, would show this kind of favor to someone like her. This language, the Magnificat, it harkens back to a number of texts in the Old Testament, not the least of which is Hannah's song. And Psalm 113. Psalm 113 is one of the most amazing psalms in the entire Bible. Psalm 113 asks the question, who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? Who is like the transcendent God of the universe? Who stoops down, okay, to engage with his creation. You have the fact that God is transcendent and holy, but he also draws near, he is imminent, he is close. Christianity has the only God who is both. The God who is lifted up high and exalted, but who condescends himself to care for people like us. Mary embodied someone of no status, no significance, okay, and that God would show favor to her reveals what the Hebrew God is like. I was having lunch with someone who's not a member of our church just this past week. He's had a 
he's really lived a life of struggle over the past few years. And he struggles to believe that God could love him and care for him. He's very hard on himself, struggled with a variety of addictions. And he heard a sermon on this text about the wonder of the incarnation. And as he sat across from me, he began to weep. And he said, the most amazing thing is that the God of the Bible in the incarnation did not show up before a king or a prince or people of high and exalted status. The God of the universe showed favor and mercy on Mary. Someone of the lowest status possible. Which he said means there's hope for people like me. That God cares for the broken, broken and the needy. For God to reach out to Mary and bestow on her this amazing sign indicates the kind of people the gospel is for. Do you have a sense of your brokenness and your neediness? Do you understand how in need of God's grace that you really are? If so, like J.I. Packer says, the incarnation should be the most wonderful news. Do you ever wonder if the God of the universe could care for someone like you? Have you ever wondered if the God of the Bible is really with you and for you? Do you? You should at times. And if so, you're in good company. If you ever wonder that, this is God's answer. This is God's sign that he exists, that he is with us, that he is strong to save. The sign that was promised 700 years before it happened was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus through the virgin birth with Mary. That sign still applies today. In fact, that's why we're here this morning to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ to praise God for the virgin birth that he fulfilled at just the right time. Pray with me, our gracious God and Father. I pray that we would all be amazed, just like my friend this past week, that the gospel is true, that the gospel is real, that the transcendent God of the universe could love someone like me, someone as broken and sinful and needy as I am. We thank you for this insight into your character that we get that you're the kind of God that cares for the neediest and most broken of people, people like us. Father, we thank you for meeting our truest and greatest need in the fulfillment of this sign. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of of the living God. Help us to trust in him and love him. Help us to cherish this sign all the days of our life. We pray in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.